Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I'll be delving into each of the chapters of the book and exploring what's the context of uncertainty, what are some of the challenges we face, and what are the habits and leadership behaviours that we need to adopt in order to navigate uncertainty more easily. A lot of people have asked me if there's an audible version of my book, Leading Through Uncertainty, and there isn't, and I don't know if there ever will be plans to do such a thing. But what I did think I would do in season two of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast is dedicate about 20 to 30 minutes each week on each of the chapters in the book. So sometimes I'll read sections of the book out and sometimes I'll just talk about the the context of it. Um, So I want to start this week by talking about the introduction. Why why did I write the book? What was my inspiration? Um, And and the work that I do and why I do it and how I came to do it. So I'm going to start by going through the introduction and I'm also going to read out um, some of chapter one as well this week. So it starts with a quote, the introduction starts with a quote, um, which is a quote that, that I often say, which is, what do you say and do in those moments of uncertainty? You lead, that's all you can do. And that's really why I wrote the book, because what I found was that quite often in uncertainty, people become paralysed because they don't know what to do and that they think that everything is uncertain and therefore they doubt their capabilities and the skills that they have got. Um, And so the background to this book is that the inspiration came for it when I was sitting in a field with my dog for four days in, in July 2016. And I was feeling pretty exhausted. And July 2016 was shortly after the Brexit referendum. And I think the 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 whole of the UK was in a very strange place. I think there was a lot of shock. There was a lot of polarisation. And the clients that I was seeing walking through my gate were certainly experiencing that and, and also experiencing... Um, a sense of how do we lead when we're out of our comfort zones? Because as soon as somebody walks through my gate and they are there to work with a herd of horses to get feedback on their leadership and teamwork skills, you know, there's nothing on paper that sounds sane about that. I mean, of course, the reality is that it's it's profound and life-changing work for people. But, but people were experiencing working with my horses, exactly what they were experiencing at work, which is, how do I lead when everything seems uncertain? And as part of the research for my book, I interviewed CEOs from a variety of organisations. And many of the the CEOs I interviewed thought that uncertainty was not a new phenomenon. But they often said that it had become more obvious as the pace of change had accelerated. And the CEOs mostly had learned to seek and create clarity and certainty amongst the chaos. They were identifying risks, they were doing scenario planning, they were preparing for every eventuality and also accepting the things that they couldn't control. And I think that's easier said than done because I think at the moment there are enormous challenges facing leaders today. We 
we, we live and work in uncertainty in a, an era of rapid change driven by technology and a global economy. And as people live longer and work longer, your career may span 50 to 60 years, where previously it was about 30. And in the last 50 years, we've experienced substantial change in the way we work. And I think the next 10 are going to transform work beyond recognition as new technology influences us further. And, and as a result of that, we need new and more effective ways of leading and, and re to replace command and control, competition and hierarchy with collaboration and shared leadership. And few people have been trained to do that. We're trained to compete. We're trained to operate as individuals within a structure. And whilst everyone likes to think they're collaborative, very few people truly know how to embody it. And so I think the time for dialogue and exploring how we move together um, in a way that embraces our differences has never been greater. And in parallel to that, the pressure that people are under has never been more in intense because the volume of work is greater as well. So, you know, the challenge of uncertainty is that uncertainty is uncomfortable. Um, it creates stress. It's it's something that creates unforeseen opportunities if we're actually willing to step over the edge and out of our comfort zone. But it does also create stress and overwhelm, fear and polarisation. And in those moments, people often wonder how they can possibly continue. I see people struggling with an overwhelming volume of workload. And I think there's a fundamental desire to get things right and be in control. And that's not actually possible or sustainable, particularly in the volatile and uncertain times that, that we're living and working in. So we need a different approach to leadership. Um, and, and we need to find a way to ease the mental and emotional load for ourselves as, as well as our teams, because uncertainty does generate a wealth of emotions. Um, and that's part of the process. But we can we can minimise those by adapting our behaviour and developing new skills. But we can't ever get over it or pretend it's not happening. Because I think if we do and we squash our emotions, then we we step over the, the fundamental core of what it is to be human. And I think, you know, being human is is crucial to, to mention because we are human beings experiencing the challenges of life. And as work and life are more integrated than ever before, the challenges we face are actually becoming more difficult to balance. Um, life isn't certain for any of us, and we can plan for things as much as possible, but there will always be events that are out of our control. You know, many people are, have got either ageing parents or children with, you know, challenges at school or going through exams, or maybe they've got learning difficulties or disabilities. Um, you know, we have our own health problems to navigate. There's there's a huge amount of uncertainty that happens in our personal lives and that affects our work. And I think if we pretend it doesn't, we're actually deluding ourselves and we're putting ourselves under unnecessary pressure to perform and, and be perfect. And and life isn't all pretty with a bow on top. You know, life life has its challenges as well as its wonderful, joyful moments. So I think you know, we need to recognise that and, and include that as part of our process. 
Um, I think the other thing is that uncertainty requires, it has a cycle, it requires a letting go of one thing so that something new can emerge. And beginnings are often uncertain because the outcome is unclear. And beginnings often arise from the ending of something else. And in those moments, people often feel as though they're unskilled um, and that they have no idea what to do in those moments. And we spend huge amounts of time imparting knowledge, believing we need to have all the answers. But I think uncertainty provides us an opportunity to step into a place of how can we? Um, you know, it's a paradigm shift from knowing to not knowing, from individual knowledge and power to collective wisdom and collaboration. So throughout the chapters of this book, I'm I'm going to explore how leaders in organisations need to recognise the, the human challenges that we face. Um, and in the course of my work as an executive coach and, and strategic leadership partner, I mentioned horses earlier, and I bring clients to work with my herd of five horses and I, I know that might sound strange if you've not come across this work before what the horses do is they invite you to return to your own true nature whilst working in an environment that is uncertain and sometimes unpredictable and it provides an opportunity for people to explore how they lead out of their comfort zone um, all the work that we do is on the ground so there's no riding involved I think once you put a rider on a horse's back, the relationship changes. But when you work with a horse on the ground, it's based purely on partnership um, and, and working collaboratively together. And it provides an environment for people to explore a different way of leading that's more relational, more collaborative, and based on engaging and inspiring people to come with you. And, and horses, the reason why I work with horses is that they are masters of sensing beyond the words. So they respond based on your non-verbal behaviour and communication. And they do it in a way that's non-judgmental. So the horses will come with you if you're clear about where you're going. You provide clarity and direction. But that what they also want is relationship and to know that they're being invited through free will. So they want to have an opinion about whether they come or not. And of course... That's exactly what people want. We all want a clear direction and we want to know that we're being invited to come through relationship. Um, research shows that in the presence of horses, you align your head, heart and gut. So that's your information brain, your cognitive processing with the, the heart, which is your emotions and your gut instinct. And to date, we've largely been trained to rely on the information on our brains, but we've got so much more wisdom and information available to us. So I think when we align the intellect with our emotions and gut instincts, we're more authentic, have more clarity, and behave in a more congruent manner. And that's what happens automatically in the presence of the horses. And, and, um, Ultimately, the horses want to know that you're authentic and acting with integrity. So they want to know that they they can be safe. And when people first meet the horses, they're often scared of them because they don't know whether the horses are going to cooperate. The sheer size and presence of horses can be intimidating and invoke anxiety. And, and often people will say they've never met anyone bigger than them before. And particularly that's that's true more for, for men than it is for, for women. 
overpowering a horse physically is not going to be the answer any more than it is in the workplace. And telling them what to do because you're the boss doesn't work with them either. And conversely, at the other end of the spectrum, being a people pleaser and being very relational but not being very clear about what you want isn't going to get the horses to cooperate. So they want you to balance clarity and focused action with strong relational skills. And I think the best we can hope for in any given moment is to lead and make decisions based on the information we have available. Um, And that includes our emotions emotions and gut instinct. So my own leadership career began at IBM where I worked for 16 years and I had a variety of roles in the outsourcing business and in the latter years of my career I was regularly asked to sort something out that was unclear but needed attention often at a European or global level and I learned how to provide clarity of direction and engage a team to work with me in some challenging senior leadership roles always leading through uncertainty although I'm not sure at the time that I always appreciated that what I that's what I was doing. But I often did the jobs that nobody wanted, creating structure and certainty out of chaos and confusion. But it was only in 2011 when I overcame my fear of horses and started working with them that I really understood what it takes to be an effective leader in uncertainty. So so this book, Leading Through Uncertainty, has been born out of my combined leadership experience of working in IBM, my experience of running my own small business, but especially from working with horses because they've taught me so much. So I'm going to read out chapter one, which is entitled My Path of Uncertainty, because this chapter explains how I uh, met my first horse and my experience of that. That's a lot of horse, I thought. That was an understatement. Callie was majestic. I watched her gallop up and down the arena, with her mane and tail flying behind her, and her head held high. She snorted loudly as she charged from one end to the other. It was clear that she was strong, powerful and opinionated. I knew nothing about horses, but she certainly didn't look like a horse who was suitable for a novice such as me. I had no reference point for this moment. I had only recently overcome my fear of horses. My previous experience had included six months riding at the age of nine and three serious accidents around horses as an adult, one while I was riding and two others on the ground. I write about these more extensively in my book Leadership Beyond Measure, so I won't go into them here. What I will say is that I was a novice and I knew very little about horses. The only thing that was certain was I was here to look at a horse to work with me. Despite Callie charging up and down at an alarming rate, I walked calmly into the arena and stood in the middle. Having overcome my fear of horses only six months earlier, it seemed a brave thing to do. I'm not sure why I did it, but I followed my instincts and I stepped into the arena of uncertainty. I felt as though my heart would stop and I breathed deeply. As soon as I walked in, Callie came to a stop at the other end of the arena. I stayed calm, breathing consciously and grounding myself. She walked over to me and stood by my right shoulder. She looked me deep in the eye and I felt the soul-to-soul connection that she creates so magically. I gulped and I felt my eyes well up with tears. I was moved by the power and gentleness of her spirit. I walked forward and Callie came with me. 
I stopped and she stopped with me. I paused, trying to breathe. I moved again, turning left and right, stopping and starting. Callie matched me step for step. When I moved, she came. When I stopped, she did too. The connection felt so deep, yet I had no idea what I was doing. I had virtually no experience around horses. I was completely unskilled, uncertain whether Callie was suitable or if I could handle her. I could feel the power of her palpating beside me and my heart was pounding. She was choosing to follow me as a leader, even though I had no idea what I was doing. I've received no greater acknowledgement of my leadership than in that moment. Callie chose to follow with complete free will. It was and continues to be a deeply moving experience. I went back to the gate to talk to her owner, Julie. Callie was loose, but she stayed by my side as I went. I said to Julie, she's so responsive. She's the kind of horse I could really connect with. At that moment, Callie turned, looked me in the eye and nodded. My heart lurched and I swallowed hard. I was chosen. And so the next part of the chapter talks about what led me here. In 2010, I left a 16-year career in IBM. After numerous senior leadership roles, including managing a European budget of a billion dollars, I knew there was more for me in life. In hindsight, I was close to burnout, but I didn't realise it until I took a year's sabbatical and slowed down almost to a stop. After that sabbatical... I set up a leadership and coaching business with a desire to help senior leaders and executives. I knew what it was like to work in a large organisation, feeling ground down under the pressure of a heavy workload with aggressive targets to reach. I knew the stresses and strains of trying to work collaboratively in a high-pressure, high-performance culture with no let-up. I also knew how energising, exciting and rewarding it could be The uncertainty that comes with a high-performance culture is immense. Stretch targets are the norm, and nobody knows whether they can meet them. It's an environment rife with uncertainty, and some people thrive on it, as I did, and others are left reeling. Having completed a year-long transformational leadership programme with the Coaches Training Institute, I also knew there was another way to lead, if only people had the skills to do so. Ironically, in the times when we are under pressure to succeed, there's a tendency to speed up, and in so doing, we often lose our ability to lead effectively. What is needed in those moments is a slower, more grounded pace, a way of connecting to your authentic leadership and finding your flow with ease. Athletes know what it's like to be in the zone and spend years working with a performance coach to help them achieve it. Leaders who find this flow are not only powerful, compelling and engaging, they're often less stressed, more grounded and calmer. Yet in the current world of fast-paced change, where everything is uncertain, few people find the space to create that flow. Here I was, in 2011, at a stud farm, completely out of my depth, choosing a horse. When I left my corporate career, everyone said I was courageous and some wished they could leave as well. Why didn't they? Fear of uncertainty and fear of failure, of course. 
The fear of uncertainty causes us to maintain the status quo, even when it's not working. And leaving behind a highly paid career with all the financial benefits it brings to set up a small business in the middle of a recession, I can tell you it's not for the faint-hearted. In hindsight, what others saw as courage was merely naivety, something I find serves me well in moments of uncertainty. If we overthink things, we don't move forward. Although I had substantial experience working in a large organisation and was comfortable managing big budgets, nothing could have prepared me for running a small business on my own. And when I added horses into me, to the mix, the uncertainty grew exponentially. Everything was unknown. I was on my own with no support structure and the learning curve was fast. Failure was a definite possibility. Over the coming months and years, I would fail repeatedly, pick myself up and try again. Had I known that, I probably would have stayed in my corporate career. We have a psychological need for safety and we tend to seek it naturally. Uncertainty is a threat to our safety, but it's unavoidable if we want to create breakthroughs. One of the first leadership programmes I ran was a six-month programme called Challenge the Status Quo, and it was designed to help leaders be more self-aware and more bold and courageous in their leadership. In between workshops, I gave them practical challenges to overcome, and I'm a great believer in walking my talk, so if I ask somebody to do something, I'll always be willing to do it myself. And so, as part of that programme, I asked that this group of leaders to overcome their fear of something. And since I was frightened of horses, I overcame my fear of them. I had no idea what was in store. In the first five minutes of working with horses, I overcame my fear of them. And I learned so much about my leadership in two hours that I kept going back and training in leadership with horses, which is a way of working with them to develop leadership and communication skills. And following that first session, instead of just overcoming my fear of horses, it ignited a fascination with them and I found myself drawn to learning more about them. With no intention of doing the work, I embarked on an extensive training programme to train as a horse dream partner, which is an international methodology designed to work specifically with corporate leaders and teams. Throughout the training, I found myself working with people who had their own horses, and they were very confident and competent around them. There was I, unsure why I was there, why I was doing the training, but I was just following my instincts and willing to explore. The only thing that was certain was that it felt right. And it's interesting that, because in moments of uncertainty, we tend to rely on logic, reasoning and facts. Yet our instincts are rarely wrong. I think... Effective leaders trust their intuition in uncertainty and include it in the decision-making process. So I qualified as a horse dream partner, qualified to do leadership with horses, and clients started coming. And so I did what any sane and sensible person would do, who knew nothing about horses. There I was, standing at a stud farm in Warwickshire, about to buy my first horse. And weirdly, after seeing Callie charging up and down the arena, I knew deep down that she was the right horse for me. My heart was sure, my gut instinct was clear, but my head was still questioning whether she was the right horse for me. 
I was questioning my sanity of taking on such a majestic animal when my capabilities of handling horses was virtually non-existent. I didn't even know how to put a head collar on. After watching her, I went home to think about it. I wanted to be sure I was doing the right thing. In moments of uncertainty, we often look for certainty, glimpses that we're on the right track. Things were moving fast and I felt the need to slow the decision down and give myself time to pause for breath. Callie is 16.2 hands high, which is 1.68 metres to the top of her shoulder. When she puts her head up, her head goes higher than my hand when I raise my hand. She's a German breed called Trichaina, which is known for being spirited and highly sensitive. Riders will often say this breed is tricky to handle. Knowing nothing about horses, I was obviously oblivious to this. But what I have discovered is that Trichainas are very sensitive and very intuitive, which actually makes them perfect for my work. But what they do need is a lot of opinion and they really need you to listen. I had limited experience around horses and this was an enormous decision. At the time, many people said I was bold. Others told me I was crazy. I didn't see it either way. I just followed my heart and knew that this was the work that I wanted to do. And so exactly eight months after I overcame my fear of horses, Callie came into my life. And if I'd had any doubts about taking on a horse as powerful as Callie, I was certain my friends weren't going to let me play small. Later that day, I spoke to a dear friend, Nicole, and explained that Callie was enormous, powerful, spirited, kind and gentle, and I was a bit concerned that she might be too much for clients. Nicole asked whether I could handle her. I replied that I thought so, to which Nicole responded, if you think you can handle her and your clients can't, then you're holding your clients too small. With that, I made the decision. I took ownership of Callie one month later. My path of uncertainty had most definitely begun. Next week, I'll explore chapter two of the book, which is called Human Beings versus Supercomputers. And in chapter two, I'll be looking at how technology is driving a rapid pace of change, which creates uncertainty, and what that means for us as human beings in a fast-paced technological world. That's it this week. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to read the full chapter, you can download a copy of it from my website at judejennison.com forward slash podcasts. Or if you'd like to hear real live stories of leaders who've led through uncertainty and how they've overcome their challenges, check out season one of this podcast, episodes one to 35, where I interview leaders from a variety of organisations on their experiences. There are some truly inspirational stories from leaders there. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next chapter of my book, Leading Through Uncertainty.